Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it's Thursday, June 17th here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well and having a good week so far. Yesterday was one of the craziest non-free agency NBA news story days that I can remember. It was just nonstop action from when the Bucks nets game ended on Tuesday night to just the back-to-back-to-back-to-back major storylines yesterday that, that came out and were reported honestly all could have led its own day of of coverage in the NBA maybe even gotten a week of content out of each one but they just they just came rapid fire so we're going to we're going to try to cover it all we're not going to get too much into the coaching changes for Washington or New Orleans more is going to come out there it'll be you know we'll talk about it when they announce their new coaches cuz those are two interesting teams with with interesting rosters the Dallas situation is weird had the story in the Athletic come out about Luca and just some frustrations with how the front office is being run and some frustrations with how the front office is trickling down their role and their power to coaching decisions and rotations and shots and roster, you know, all, all this stuff. And so Donnie Nelson, their longtime GM, he stepped down yesterday. That's something to monitor and watch and see what the impact is of that going forward. He's, you know, an NBA legend, drafted Luka. Something's going on in, in Dallas, and, and we'll see what happens this summer and, and kind of who who steps up and gets named the general manager and just all the stuff that happens. But we are going to start talking about the games last night and then work our way through uh, Bucks nets tonight to, to finish off because last night was a great night at NBA NBA action, and we're going to start in the Western Conference. So, came out yesterday morning, Kawhi Leonard, knee injury. Okay, first first report was sprained knee of some type, questionable, unlikely to play, but okay, you know, he he may not play game five, but sprained knee, you know, he... That's something that that he could potentially come back for with a couple of days of rest, rehab, treatment. Not at one hundred percent, but but he could give it a go. You thought we, we thought. Then then it comes out he's definitely out, and he's awaiting more tests, and they and that they fear that he may be out the rest of the series. Okay, this is getting more serious, and then it comes out. And it's reported that they fear that he has an ACL injury of some type. That has not been confirmed by the team or by one of the true insiders, Woe, Shams, Mark Stein, Chris Haynes, of a definitive injury for him. But he's out indefinitely. For the foreseeable future, Kawhi Leonard will not be suiting up for the Los Angeles Clippers due to his knee injury. And going into this game last night, Game 5 in Salt Lake City, no Kawhi Leonard. I thought it was over. I thought it was over. I didn't think that the Clippers had enough. They are a weird, weird team where until literally their backs are firmly against the wall, that's when it seems like it brings out their their best. I didn't think their backs were against the wall enough last night. I thought they would have stepped up in game six and, and losing seven, but 
what a game by the Clippers and and in particular Paul George really really stepped up played a fantastic game you know a new nickname for him was going viral on Twitter last night because he was schooling the Jazz they called him academic P instead of playoff P or pandemic P academic P he was great 37 points 16 rebounds got to the free throw lines who's being aggressive 10 for 11 struggled a little bit from three but still but still made three of them moved the ball pretty well he is the obviously the key cog in this clippers as he's their second all-star he's a guy who's going to have to carry them for the foreseeable future with with no Kawhi Leonard and I love the what what Ty Lue said after the game that at shoot around when the Kawhi story came out and, and Kawhi said that it told them that he wasn't you know be ready to play without me. Paul George just just told Coach Lou, I got this. And and man did he. Also want to shout out Marcus Morris, another big game from him, ten for sixteen from the field. He scores twenty five points. Reggie Jackson, eight for fifteen. He scored, you know, for for twenty two. You get those types of performances from your key role players on the road, down your best player. That's another sign, you know, championship type team getting performances and guys stepping up when when it's their time to. The small ball lineup for these for these Clippers since the Dallas series has been flummoxing other teams, and it is really affecting Utah. And you could see it down the stretch, especially. By going small with no big guy, even having Terrence Mann out there as sort of this roamer who isn't that great from three but can drive to the basket and attack closeouts and, and, and set screens is it forces Gobert, seven foot two, probably the best rim protector in the NBA, defensive player of the year, to to guard away from the rim. And getting him away from the rim helps their helps the Clippers guards score on the inside it leads to dominoes falling as you the go bears you know it's a tough matchup to guard reggie jackson one-on-one on the perimeter he can drive and and kick out to other players you know the clippers got a lot of good looks at, at the end of the game you know batum missed one they 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 missed a couple but you know paul george had that great and one where he got fouled and and put it in and this small lineup Give Coach Lou credit. It is working. It is no team that they have played has really figured it out yet. You could say Dallas to some extent by going with the Boban adjustment. But Utah doesn't have a Boban-like player who massive size advantage who you can throw to and he can score in traditional post-move fashion. Gobert is a really good NBA player. But he's not the same type of offensive player as Boban, even if they are similar uh, sizes and possess the same type of size advantage. They don't really play a similar way on offense. Utah was being worn down by, I don't want to say just the, the, the quickness or the switchability, but they were getting worn down as they were having that they were guarding and they were guarding a lot, and the Clippers were able to to force just enough tough shots on on the other end for for Utah. Mitchell really struggled down the stretch. Didn't just struggle putting the ball in the basket, but struggled with shot selection, as 
especially. Um, he took a couple really tough ones at the end when when I thought it was too early for those shots, but it was it was sort of an, an off night for him. He's still battling that that ankle injury. Utah just needs more, and it's weird to say you know how much more that they need, but they're they're out. Mike Conley, who is a seventeen point a game scorer, their true point guard, he's out with a hamstring injury. Unclear if he can play Game Six. Not having him, not having him in the lineup is just. It's a massive loss because he can really be another pick and roll ball handler, another guy who can attack, good defender. You know, Bogdanovich was terrific for them. Took 17 threes, made nine of them. But the this Jazz team, they're not out of it. And you can't be out of it with the way that they shoot the three ball. But they went 20 for 54 from three. When you're taking that many threes, even though that, you know, this is how they play. They pass the ball really, really well. They take threes. They take good shots. They they work it around, get into the paint, and make smart basketball plays. They only, you know, they took fifty four threes and took twenty seven free throws, and the free throws were were spread out a, a decent amount. But I I would like to see Bogdanovich or Mitchell Ingles, especially a guy like Jordan Clarkson, get to the free throw line a little bit more make the Clippers go to their bench and really just try to punish them for their lack of size. Utah only had seven offensive rebounds. Um, Derek Favors, only six minutes. He's he's their true backup big guy. You know, George Niang has, has decent size. If they can attack the offensive glass just a little bit better and get some more easier shots instead of relying on so many threes, Especially against a smaller team with no Kawhi, uh, I, th- I think that could be one of one of the biggest things that could turn the tide of, of Game Six. But look, it's it's not going to matter if, if Paul George, Pat, uh, Paul George, Marcus Morris, and Reggie Jackson combine for like 80, 85 points. Because if you're going to get that from those three guys, they're going to be really, really tough to beat. But let let's see how Quinn Snyder and the Jazz best record in the NBA. They they need an adjustment to to the to the small lineup of the Clippers. And look, the Clippers their backs are not against the wall now. They're up three two. They they have some 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 wiggle room. This is this is the classic Clipper letdown to to get to a game seven coming. So so I wouldn't rule out the Jazz yet at all. Other game last night, Hawks Philly, man. Oh man, where do you start for Philly? I mean, I almost want to give out, you know, an, an like an audio hug to any Philadelphia Philly people, any Sixers fans, because oh, I game five or game four was what was tough enough. You feel like you blew it. Great chance to go up three one. I don't know what you're supposed to feel after after last night, except shell shocked. Twenty six point lead at the end of the third quarter, and you lose by three points. And I don't know how much analysis that there is, except that I was wrong, and that Ben Simmons's free throw shooting, which I've been saying just is not really a problem, is a problem. It's a problem. If if they're going to go to the hack of Simmons strategy, which my whole premise for the Ben Simmons free throw shooting as not being that big of a problem was, I don't think many coaches will go to the hack of whoever strategy. 
because it's a high risk, high reward move. And in these types of playoff moments, it's, it's, it's a risky thing for, for coaches to do now. They did it when they were down 26 and trying to come back. So there was, there was some, there was, there was less risk associated, less blame. If let's say instead of four for 14 and three for eight, once they started that strategy, he goes six for eight. They're down 26, trying to make a crazy comeback. You got to try a lot of things. I'd be interested to see if Atlanta goes with the hack of Simmons strategy early in game six. See if, you know, foul him on a layup attempt early. If he goes, if he goes 0 for 2 early, maybe you just start it then. You know, you have guys on your team who can come in and foul. You know, that's why you have a 14, 13 man roster. That's why Chris Dunn, who hasn't played a lot, he could have value. Six fouls. Lou Williams, he has six fouls. Get 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 those guys on the court and just foul Simmons to the point where either Doc has to take him out or he starts making his free throws. The risk that pose, obviously, is you're closer to the bonus, and Embiid is such a monster at down low and so hard to guard, and, and it's just a brilliant free throw shooter. You're... Your off-ball fouls on him and non-shooting fouls, he'll he'll go to the line where he shoots in the mid-80s. Seth Curry, high percentage. Cork Moss, high percentage. Harris has to get to the free throw line. He stunk. Four points, two for 11, zero free throw attempts. Get to the free throw line. It's... It is DEFCON one and a half, too, for this Philly team because you can write off the last two or three postseason runs. So two years ago, 2019, Kawhi Leonard, game seven, has a shot hit the rim four times and go in. That that, that should have been an overtime game where where something happened and hey, you lose to the you lose to the team that went on to win to win the championship. You lost to the best team that year. Okay. Last year, you're in the bubble and people are forgetting that Ben Simmons, their second best player, got hurt and missed the playoffs. Yes, they got smoked by Boston. Yes, it wasn't pretty. But how many teams in the NBA, if they lose their second best player while playing one of the top three teams in the conference, can win a best of seven game series? Not many. Remember, Boston went to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. It and people were talking after last year, hey, break up the Sixers, break up the Sixers, and beat Simmons can't play together. All this stuff. I didn't really fully buy it then. I thought that they could play together, but if they lose this series after being up two games to one, the calls for this team to break up is just going to be louder and louder and louder. And I still don't know what the best thing for them going forward is. I know that I think they're going to win game six because they still have Joel Embiid playing at a really, really high level. But can someone else make a shot for him? You know, Tobias Harris, and now now we're going to talk about Atlanta. Fantastic. They really, really struggled early on, shooting the ball really poorly in, in, in the low 30s in the first half. This is what a veteran team does. Hey, it's it's not over. The, the NBA game being 48 minutes is an eternity. With a three-point shot, it is an eternity. And they they stuck with it, kept playing, didn't give up. 
Trey Young, 39 points, took 19 free throws. Your Philly can't send him to the line that much. He shoots so it's too high a percentage. Give them credit. Give Atlanta credit. They they deserve that win. Everyone's going to talk about Philly blowing it and breaking up the team because that's what we as fans and 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 people like to do is speculate on trades and free agency because that's like the most fun part about the NBA is the player movement. It's a lot harder to get super amped up about the fact that Atlanta just shoots a lot of threes and and when they're on they're on and they're just a well built roster. It's give them credit. Massive moment for them in game six coming up on, on Friday. If they can win that game and take this series over the top team in the Eastern Conference, no matter who wins Milwaukee, Brooklyn, this Atlanta this Atlanta season will be a it already is a, a smashing success. It will be a whole nother level if if they can win this series in terms of timeline, what they can do, free agents, who they can go after, because Trey Young is putting on a show and everyone around the league, fans, media, other players are are taking notice. Is Chris Paul cursed? So Chris Paul, the point god, CP3, the first breaking news story yesterday was Chris Paul has entered the league's health and safety protocols. Later that day, Shams tweeted out the report from the NBA about how many COVID positives versus uh, out of the number of tests that they have done in terms of the number of players. There's only one positive of the number of players who are left in the playoffs this year or, or still have to do the testing. It seems like Chris Paul has tested positive for COVID. Now, that has not been confirmed, but if there's one positive and he's out indefinitely and, and the articles are making it sound like, hey, he he may be out a while, um, he may legitimately be cursed. We're used to having teams be cursed, most famously Red Sox, Cubs, you know, Black Cats running across the field in the 86 World Series, the Steve Bartman play. We are used to sports teams or cities being cursed. Not necessarily a player. I mean, Chris Paul has had a crazy career. Starts in New Orleans. Hurricane Katrina tragically hits New Orleans. Devastates the city. And a, you know, obviously a much, much smaller concern is that Chris Paul, you know, he, he goes and plays in Oklahoma City for his first couple of years. He's the face of this franchise in a rebuilding city. He is tr- he they they decided to, to trade him after the owner of the Hornets at the time passes away and the NBA is 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 running the team. Works out a deal to go to the Lakers. That gets vetoed, vetoed, vetoed by the late commissioner David Stern. So he can't team up with Kobe and potentially win a championship there goes to the Clippers, maybe the most cursed franchise in the NBA besides the New York Knicks, has starts Lob City, high expectations, dealt with a couple just brutal injuries at key points in the playoffs, missing, being forced to miss games and having series turn. They have that Rockets 
collapse where they blow the the 3-1 lead to Houston to like Josh Smith when Houston looked done famously gets to Houston had they have an insane year with him and Harden Western Conference Finals against the Warriors up three games to two pulls his hamstring he misses those two games Warriors famously go on to win win the championship Game seven that year, even though he wasn't on the the court, Houston missed 27 threes in a row, which just doesn't seem possible, even though it happened. And then this year, he's back in the Western Conference Finals with a great team, the favorites for the Western Conference right now. And and he is in the protocols. You just feel so bad for him, and you want him to get to to the finals and be able to win a championship or at least get a legitimate chance to. But it just, if you talk about tough roads over careers and obstacles to have to climb to, to win a championship, Chris Paul's plight has, it, it, it has to be up there with, with other great players in, in the NBA. So hopefully he recovers. If he has COVID makes a, makes a full recovery, but because that's obviously the first and the first priority here when dealing with this virus, but he he may be cursed and, and I don't know what you do about that, except, except eventually it feels like he will have to win a championship and maybe it is this year. It would be great if he won it, but it, it just seems, it just seems like he's cursed. Bucks nets from Tuesday night. Now we started the morning off talking about, the biggest news in sports was Bucks Nets. Kevin Durant in Game Five scores forty nine points, plays forty eight minutes, extremely extremely efficient from from the field. You know, he scored forty nine points on twenty three shots, triple double, seventeen rebounds, ten assists. He was magical, magical to watch. Steve Nash had a great adjustment. I talked a little bit on this podcast about, hey, you you can't really keep Kevin Durant down for that long. You you know, he's the same guy who said, I'm Kevin Durant. You know who I am. And I went out and scored 50 on the Clippers. What Steve Nash did is the, the Bucks are trying to pressure him up the court, tire him out, especially as he's playing as sometimes the main ball handler with no Kyrie Irving and a very limited James Harden. So what do they do? Instead of having P.J. Tucker or Chris Middleton or someone be able to harass him the whole way up the court, they would use Blake Griffin, Bruce Brown, Jeff Green, Shamit, whoever whoever seemingly had a favorable matchup on Durant would come up and set almost like a flat ball screen either at the half-court line or at the at the edge of the logo, the, the circle, way high up there so that Durant could come off it and kind of have a head of steam coming down in a favorable matchup where he's no longer being harassed up the court. And now, hey, he, he can get into a pull-up jumper on a Brooke Lopez trying to guard him while moving laterally or trying to get uh, Bryn Forbes into the action that far away. Drew Holiday, just, just, just using that type of stuff to just get him a little more space, a little more movement going towards the basket, not with someone right in his grill. Well, that was a great adjustment by Nash, but give Kevin Durant all the credit in the world. He he was spectacular last night. 
or sorry, two nights ago. The shot making, I don't know if he had a shot hit the rim, except for his final, you know, desperation heave that that went in with about a minute to go. It was just swish, swish, swish. And it was it was it was impressive to watch. The Bucks have to feel like they blew this game. As great as Kevin Durant was, and he was magical, and Jeff Green hitting seven threes, Blake Griffin making three more. You know, you can't overstate that. That the Nets basically were up by four when it was over and, and the fouls to to push it to whatever the final margin was, but Durant having basically fifty and Green having twenty seven and you only losing by four gives you a little bit of hope going into game six that hey, it's not that bad. And we're right in it. We can beat this team. But man, was that second half tough. They were playing really well in the first half, moving the ball really well. Then I don't know what happens. It may just be just uh, you know a, a team feeling the moment. Guys who recognize that I have a one-on-one matchup against the other guys on the team. And I think I can score on them, which they probably can. But the while, while the Nets were streaking and getting back into it they the, the bucks just took a lot of tough shots you know and it was it was characterized and summarized in the fadeaway post shot that Giannis took on James Harden at the end of the fourth quarter which you know if you watch a, a, if you watch the bucks this is a counter move that Giannis does he has taken it all year long guys foul him on it he makes it it is a it is a move that he feels very comfortable going to in that moment, and everyone's making a big deal. Harden put his hand up and said, "Don't double." Well, Shamit still kind of stunted. He went in, kind of faked, or went to double. So maybe Giannis thought, "Hey, the double is coming. I'm going to counter spin off jumper. I have a size advantage. He gets a clean look off." Maybe that's what he wanted. You never know. Do I wish that he went right through James Harden? Or used his quickness to get around, especially with Harden's injury, and 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 do the Bucks wish that? Sure, but it's not like he, it was it was a shot he has never taken before. It's it's not like it was a shot that he's never practiced before. It was just a shot that the that the basketball community thinks that he could have gotten a better one. And you got to really look closely at this Bucks team and say do. Do we have what it takes to put all this behind us again and and come back for this game six? We're, we're at home. I thought Connor didn't play pretty well in game four. Or in, sorry, game game five. Get Try to get more than four offensive rebounds. Such a size advantage with Giannis and Lopez and P.J. Tucker. Try to get to the free throw line a little bit more. You know, Brooke Lopez, Drew Holiday seems to be settling for a lot of jumpers, a lot of tough shots. If if the Bucks can just find a way to get easier looks, because because they can do it, they can do it. There are parts of every single game where they get good looks, they get good looks, and they play really well. They're scoring and they're moving the ball, and then they get stagnant, and it looks really really tough because the Nets don't change really how they play throughout the whole time and the game is so long that they're shooting they're going to go on runs it's really hard to sustain that but looking ahead to game six tonight James Harden 
will not be healthier, most likely, than he was in Game 5. I'm not a doctor. My favorite game in, in media, podcast, sports, radio, fans, saying I'm not a doctor but this. So I'm going to do that right now. I'm not a doctor, but playing 46 minutes on a bad hamstring then with only one day off probably doesn't make your hamstring better. It probably keeps it about the same, maybe, or probably a little bit worse for game six. And maybe I'll be wrong. And maybe Harden looks healthier and he scores 30 tonight. But if you're the Bucks, get him in actions. Get him in as many defensive actions until he has to leave the game to foul trouble or he can't guard anybody. Make him prove 10 times in a row, 15 times in a row, that he can guard one-on-one on the perimeter, ball screen action, back screen action. Make him switch. See what type of switch. Then you could slip. Make him guard in the post. Make him guard on the perimeter. Move him around. If, if you're being guarded by him, don't just stay in the corner. Just cut. Make him move. Make him move as much as you can and say, we think you're hurt. You're either going to gut it out for another 46 minutes and be horrible on offense the way that you were in game five. Naturally, playing basically on one leg, 46 minutes, low conditioning. Either you're going to do that and we're just going to have to stop KD and, and, and Jeff Green. And you also have to guard. Make him guard as much, as much as you can without just being ISO selfish. Because there are ways to do it that are bad. There are ways to do it that are good. But making Harden guard in transition and and maybe because everyone's talking about Giannis should guard KD. He won defense player of the year last year. Giannis is a great defender, but not one-on-one on the perimeter the same way that a Ben Simmons type is. What I would think about doing is putting Giannis on James Harden and make Harden in in transition cross-match against Giannis. Make him sprint the floor every time with Giannis, who's rim-running. Make him battle in the post with Giannis. Make him guard all the ball screen action with, with Giannis. That would be an interesting adjustment that I think that Coach Bud and, and the Bucks could make and then make make Harden score on Giannis. Make him explode off the hamstring. Make him use his quickness, if he has it or not, with his hamstring. Anything to make Harden tired. Anything to make him make him move. That's the Bucks' best chance, I think, to to win tonight. But it's going to be a great night of hoops. Can't wait for it. Hopefully, nothing crazy else comes out to today. And the last thing I'll say for for the Bucks is. They're the only team. They are the only team in this in the, in the playoffs remaining who has not dealt with a major injury. And teams deal with injuries all the time in the playoffs every year. The Bucks are the only team left of the true contenders who hasn't dealt with an injury to one of their best players. Every other team has. This is their window. This is their opportunity. And I'm excited to see how they come out tonight and see if they are ready to go and and ready to to punch Brooklyn back and say we're not we're just not going to roll over and and take this humiliation again but we're going to fight back and when, when we're and we're going to play you may beat us but we're not going down without a fight that'll do it for this episode of the double double if you like this podcast you can find us on iTunes Spotify or wherever your podcast where you can subscribe rate and review five stars would be much much appreciated 
Also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back hopefully tomorrow. Take care and make it a great day.